tell him from me that he hath done me wrong, and therefore I'll uncrown him ere it be long. Today's episode of History Obscura has been presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you and me to monetize our podcasts. Providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so we always know how much we're going to get when we include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o. Tell them History Obscura sent you. Hello and welcome back to the History Obscura Reading Room. I am your once and forever host, Mandy Gardner. I hope you are well. I'm just indulging in a cup of tea and biscuits, while Homer joyfully chases his own tail at my side. He never expected to have a tail, but poof, yesterday it finally grew in and he couldn't be more delighted. So let's continue with the story of England's most notorious line of royalty, shall we? It's one of my favorites. Once upon a time, there was a beautiful and mysterious kingdom in turmoil. You see, it had been left in the hands of a tiny baby, one King Henry VI of the Plantagenet line. And in the first place, Henry VI was unwell. You'll recall from last week's part one of the Tudors that this Henry was stepson to Owen Tudor, descended from Welsh royalty. The two had a good relationship, as did Henry and his Tudor half-brothers, Jasper and Edmund. Though these particular Tudors have no large part in today's story, their mere existence at that time and place was of extreme importance. Have patience and you will learn why. At this point in the story, Three names are of the utmost importance, York, Lancaster, and Beaufort. These are all members of the Plantagenet house, and cousins to one another. King Henry VI was of the Lancaster line. It was in 1437 that King Henry reached age 16 and assumed responsibility for England from his regent and uncle, Humphrey of Lancaster. Henry displayed a true desire for his role as monarch. However, his character and beliefs about the kingdom differed from his father's. Henry, like many kings before him, was burdened by the Hundred Years' War between England and France. A contract between the dead French King Charles VI and Henry's father, Henry V, meant that King Henry VI did officially hold the French crown as well as the English. Most rulers in his place would have chosen to ramp up military efforts to support that unpopular claim in France. 
Indeed, that was the advice of Henry's royal council. But the king wanted to solidify his claims diplomatically and peacefully. The king chose to marry Margaret of Anjou, a relative of the former French king, to further bond their two countries. The bride was 15 years old when she married the 34-year-old king of England in 1445. Though young, Margaret was focused and political. She made sure that her new husband followed through on his promise to transfer the French province of Maine back to the man who also believed himself to be the king of France, Charles VII. The land transfer was a divisive issue among the English nobility, which had already grown fragmented during the childhood of their boy king. But by 1450, a more pressing issue had emerged. After five years of marriage, Henry VI still had no heir. To make matters worse, the king struggled with bouts of insanity. When these fits came about, Henry VI was, to quote, suddenly taken and smitten with a frenzy and his wit and reason withdrawn. The symptoms of this sudden mental breakdown were horrifying. The initial frenzy passed into a paralyzing physical and mental catatonia. Henry could neither talk nor walk. He was barely able to hold up his head and sat slumped and silent for months at a time. When his son Edward was finally born in 1553, Henry hardly glanced at him. Henry was perhaps not best suited to the role of a king of England. He was described as timid, shy, and passive and he did not want to engage in warfare. He cringed at the sight of tortured criminals and offered many pardons in place of such treatment. Henry VI was viewed by his peers as weak. And that is where the split lines of the Plantagenet family become very important. Henry was a Lancaster, which meant he could rely on the support of other Lancastrians. The two other Plantagenet families vied for the pleasure of acting in lieu of the incapacitated king, and these were the Beauforts and the Yorks. Both were cousins of the king, and all could trace their ancestry to King Edward III, who had ruled England in the previous century. As members of the same house, both families held claim to the throne. It was Richard of York who successfully maneuvered to make himself Lord Protector, essentially the regent of England during Henry's illness. While Richard settled into his role, Henry recovered from his catatonic state somewhat by 1455 and arranged a promising marriage for his half-brother Edmund Tudor. The bride was Margaret Beaufort, the third lineage of the House of Plantagenet. It was a political move that bound two parts of the powerful family together preemptively against the Yorks. It also further strengthened the power and nobility of the entire Tudor family. Soon after the alliance, in 1455, 
Richard of York mustered a powerful army from his own supporters and clashed with the king's army, led by Edward Beaufort. At the Battle of St. Albans, the York army was victorious. King Henry VI was captured and kept in confinement, and Richard cemented his power as Lord Protector of England. That was the beginning of the War of the Roses. For over 30 years, the Lancaster and York families battled each other for the throne of England. The name of the war is a poetic reference to the emblems of both parties, the Red Rose of the Lancasters and the White Rose of the Yorks. Henry VI spent much of that time confined under arrest for what Richard of York claimed was the good of himself and England. He mostly prayed and read books as the war raged on. Here's a poem the king wrote during his confinement. Kingdoms are but cares. State is devoid of stay. Riches are ready snares and hasten to decay. Pleasure is a privy prick with vice doth still provoke. Pomps imprompt and fame a flame, power a smoldering smoke. Who meant to remove the rock, oust of the slimy mud, shall mire himself and hardly scape the swelling of the flood. Knowing it was necessary to keep his cousin alive to confirm his own regency, Richard of York had Henry cared for and generally comfortable throughout his imprisonment. Meanwhile, Edmund Tudor was an early casualty of the war. Soon after the Battle of St. Albans, Edward of York sent thousands of troops into Wales to assert his father Richard's authority. Edmund was captured there and imprisoned, and died shortly thereafter of the bubonic plague. The same Edward of York, responsible for Edmund's demise, would order Owen Tudor's beheading in 1460. Upon Edmund's death, his new bride, Margaret Beaufort, became a 13-year-old widow. Two months later, on January 28, 1457, she gave birth to their son, Henry Tudor. The War of the Roses continued largely unabated, and in 1460, Lord Protector of England Richard of York died in battle against the Lancastrian Royal Army. His head was removed and stuck on a pike at Micklegate Bar in York, wearing a paper crown. And yes, that is little Dorian Gray celebrating this demise in the background with a jingly toy. But let us move on. The death of the de facto ruler of England created a chaotic vacuum of power in which Margaret of Anjou worked desperately to reinstall her own husband, the long-suffering Henry VI, to the throne. Unfortunately, at the Second Battle of St. Albans, the Lancasters and Beauforts were defeated again by the son of Richard York, Edward. Margaret's army did manage to rescue Henry from imprisonment after the battle on the 7th of February, 1461. The true king was by then in such a mental state that he laughed and sang as the battle raged all around him. 
Margaret and Henry fled to Scotland, while Edward of York took his father's place at the head of England as Edward IV. The royal couple's only child, also called Edward, was sent to France for his safety and joined there by his mother when her husband once again fell into the hands of the Yorks. Margaret and Edward stayed in France for a decade. When Edward turned 17, his mother's and father's armies in England had regrown as they awaited his return. Margaret's allies had managed to depose Edward IV and reinstate Henry VI, but the return to power was only a few months long. With their major ally just having been killed, Prince Edward returned energetically to the country of his birth, very keen to depose the usurper of his father's throne. At the battles of Barnet and Tewkesbury, the prince clashed with Edward IV's army, and on the 4th of May, 1471, he was killed. King Henry VI, father to the recently fallen young man, was imprisoned in the Tower of London, where he died just one month later. Said by the Yorkist Chronicle, entitled History of the Arrival of Edward IV, Henry died of melancholy on hearing news of the Battle of Tewkesbury and his son's death. However, upon unearthing the tragic king's corpse in 1910, Exhumers found his head covered in blood, with the damage to the skull. With the true King of England dead, skirmishes and battles continued between the York and Lancaster factions while Edward IV ruled the country. Edward enjoyed his ascension, signing treaties with France that paid him heartily for allegiance and even helping Alexander Stuart wage war against his brother. King James III of Scotland. Edward, having been at peak physical condition during the battles of his early kingship, grew fat and sickly in the decade that followed. He gorged himself at meals and took little exercise. In fact, he apparently suffered from an eating disorder and used medical potions to induce vomiting, so he could return to the table and continue eating. The king died on the 9th of April, 1483. Edward IV's will stated that at his death, his son Edward V should replace him. It also stipulated that his brother, Richard of York, should stand as regent until the younger Edward reached adulthood. Instead, Richard seems to have had the boy and his younger brother imprisoned and later murdered. Richard III then took the English crown for himself. And that was very nearly that, with the Lancasters all dead and no other Yorks to challenge King Richard, the War of the Roses had come to an end. Except there was one young man whose ancestry included Welsh princes, French royalty, and that third lineage from the broken house of Plantagenet one Henry Tudor. Thanks for listening. Good night.